Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Harry's podcast. I hope you're feeling good. I hope you've been feeling productive lately. The world seems to be getting back to normal. On the 17th of May, I believe we'll be able to hug each other, uh, which is nice. I don't really tend to be much of a hugger anyway, but if I'm allowed to do it now, I might try it out. I might, I might go up to, um, well, it won't be a random stranger, but I might hug the odd person and I hope you do too. Obviously stay safe, but May 17th we can start hugging people and the world is getting back to normal, touch wood. Rocking a new setup today with the podcast, Ryan has provided me with a nice new microphone which has got a nice little black foamy thing on it which I'm pretty sure that's what it's called, technical term, and we're now operating out of Pro Tools which I've never used before and it seems to be going well. It seems to be recording. I hope it's sounding well, Ryan. And so why haven't you heard from me for the last four weeks? Well, I was finishing the film and I was really deep into that. And I didn't really want to do one of these podcasts because it wasn't fair on Ryan as well, because Ryan has been slamming busy working full time. And he was also working on the short film, Harry's Not Okay. And so then to do a podcast as well, it's like, come on, Harry, like know the limits, mate. Be nice to your friends. That wasn't just it. I wanted to focus on the work and get the work done and then come back and talk about it, which is what I'm doing today. I also needed to hit a deadline. So I wanted to submit the film for uh, the National Film School Directing Fiction course, which the odds are ridiculous on, but I thought, you know, let's let's submit it, submit an application and see what happens. So I, I got an interview there about seven years ago and the interview went really well. And then as interviews normally do with me, when they go really well, I don't seem to get them. So and then when they go badly, I don't seem to get them either. So I, I'm not doing something right. But yeah, seven years ago, I had an interview there and it went really great. And um left the room thinking, wow, I really, I stand a chance there. And then in hindsight, I've, I've found out that they interviewed like 30 people for 10 places. So that took the shine off it a little bit. But so it was a bit crazy getting the film ready for that. And big thanks to Chris Benningwood, the editor, because he absolutely killed it with, with editing the, the first court, the second court, the third court. And it was just seamless. It was really great. And I was worried at first. And Chris, I know you listen to this. You won't mind me saying this. But I was worried at first because, you know, when you're not sitting in with the editor and you're just letting the editor do whatever they want, it can be a bit daunting, especially if you've not worked with that editor before. And then the first court that Chris provided was kind of like, wow, it, it was pretty much there, like almost picture lock it was it was freakish i've never had that before especially on a script that's 11 pages and the film's about 13 minutes 14 minutes and for that to come back and just go right well, there's not much that needs changing here so i don't know where chris has got this innate ability to to edit narrative fiction but he's definitely got it and ryan obviously doing his thing uh, on the sound which was brilliant and answering all the questions for the application which is a bit of a ball ache that i spent far too long on you know like six questions that the each answer is meant to be like the length of two tweets and i'm there spending hours and hours on each answer and then i think in the end like i submitted it and was just like i don't even know if those answers were good or even made sense to the question 
But it's done now and we move on and I'm trying not to obsess over it because getting on that course would be kind of life changing as overly dramatic as it sounds, but it but it kind of would. But I'm trying to put it out of my mind and I'm trying to work on finishing this film, finishing Harry's Not Okay properly, get it completely done and then submit it to festivals. I've drawn up a list of festivals and about 10 to 15 of them I've got to submit between the 31st of May and the 15th of June, which is not long away. It's strange, you know, this whole film. Lawrence and I had a first draft March the 1st and we knew it wasn't shootable. We knew it wasn't the quality that you would shoot, but we knew that we kind of had something that was interesting. And so we were like, let's just keep going. Let's kind of blend pre-production in with writing the script because we knew we were going to make the film because I knew I had to meet this film school application. And it was just a nice incentive. And then we worked on it for like four weeks. We did about 10 drafts and we got some notes off some people, which was nice. And then we were shooting 4th of... April. Uh, we shot three days, the 4th, the 10th and the 11th. And then I think because of Chris's rapid editing, we was, we were watching a cut like what feels like the 22nd of April. And then the application for the film school was the 6th of May. So that's kind of around where we are at now. And we've got a temp score, which might end up being the, the finished score and a temp sound mix, which Ryan is is working on. And then obviously the deadlines for the festivals is the 31st of May. So you've got March, April, May, three months, and we've got a short film that I'm really proud of. It's strange because you finish a film and you, you go kind of up and down and bipolar about these things. And, and everyone's the same. So if you're feeling bipolar on your own projects, don't feel bad about it because I don't think there's a creative person alive that is an even keel and positive and happy all the way through the process. And then after the process, looking back on it, it just doesn't it doesn't happen. So don't trick yourself in thinking that you're odd and weird and, and, you know, you should feel guilt or shame about that. Because, you know, in the last week, I've had real highs because I showed the film to about 15, 20 people just sending a private link. And it just got really positive responses and feedback. And I really wasn't expecting that. And I was worried because the film isn't like massively audience friendly. It has, it goes somewhere that's kind of dark and has an ending that can be deemed ambiguous. But that's what Lawrence and I were going for. We wanted something that had multiple interpretations. And yeah, for people to come back and and really like connect with the film and think, oh, this is cool, man. I loved it. It's, and like a couple of people as well said, this is by far the best thing that you've done, which I know is like, it seems really weird and like up my own arse to admit that on the podcast. But, you know, people are saying that and maybe it hasn't got that much competition. So I shouldn't really be too happy about that. You know, most of the things I've been making the last couple of years have been one minute or two minute long. So it stands to reason that when they finally watch something that is 13 minutes, they're going to be like, whoa, this is impressive. So I had the highs and positives of that a couple of days. And then, you know, sort of obsessing over this film school and the inevitable rejection that keeps popping up in my head like oh, I'm going to get rejected and thinking about the negative things that I'm perceiving on the application and I'm I'm jumping into the minds of the, the panel going oh well they're not going to like that and maybe I didn't answer that properly and silly stuff like that and then also making a list of the festivals and going well this is quite a lot of money actually to submit to 10 to 20 festivals because you hear quite often that with festivals it's like a 25% strike rate so 
if you submit for 20, you're going to get into five. And you go, well, five doesn't seem that many. But I guess now if someone said, you know, you can get into five festivals, good ones, then I'd snap their hand off. So I was thinking about that as well, sort of spending that money on on what needs to be spent now on the rest of the film, the post-production side of things. And then even jumping to festival rejections, which I know, again, is silly because it's like, you haven't even finished the film, let's, let alone submitted it, and you're already assuming uh, rejection at these certain festivals. So, but then that passed, as it always does, and I, I'm in pretty good spirits today because, uh, you know, I'm realising that I've got two films that I'm kind of sitting on, waiting to finish and, and, and get out there. It's always a battle of living in the present moment and, and then not thinking about the whole of the year and where it's going to lead you to. And spoken on the podcast before about how I wasn't looking past May because I had certain goals to to tick off and I've ticked those goals off and now it's kind of I'm allowed to look past May so I need to really only look past you know a couple of months and not and not think about the whole year as as a whole because then you can get a bit negative and you can get a bit like you know even yesterday I was thinking well the whole of 2021 if I get another short film done you know that's only really like three short films now I've got to put horror cells online and then Harry is not okay, hopefully gets into a few festivals. And then I want to make this next thing that Lawrence and I are trying to crack and we want to make that different to Harry is not okay and we want to make it obviously bigger and better and more uh, accomplished as a, as a film, even though we're, we're again, we don't have funding and it'll be minimal resources, but we still want to push the boat out a bit more. And you do look at the year and go, well, three short films, that's not really, you know, what's that going to do? But again, it's that negative mindset that I need to switch off and that you need to switch off if you've got it as well. And you just need to think, no, three short films in a year is brilliant. And uh, it's not about, it's really not about how many there are of them because it's about being proud of the work and it's about developing as a filmmaker. And I think with Harry's not okay. I've really tried something new and different and I'm, I am really proud of it. And it's tricky because one minute you go from really proud to then uh, picking holes in something and going, oh, well, it's not as good as this and it's not as good as that. But you, you really need to switch that off. I only want to talk about a few other things and then I'm going to get out of here. It's been it's been a month. I'm sorry about that. But I did need to, to dive deep into the work and focus on that because then when I come back with the podcasts, they'll actually be more interesting and you'll be glad that you listen to them because if I'd have recorded those couple of ones in between Ryan would have hated me I know you would have hated me Ryan and it just wasn't needed you know focus on the work get the work done and then have your priorities and if there's time to do the podcast do the podcast so I am grateful for anyone that is patiently waiting for these podcasts and, and jumping on them straight away that's that's very nice and very kind and I am grateful I touched upon the test screening and what was really nice about it was I didn't really give anyone any criteria. I didn't want massively constructive criticism because the film was kind of done. And so you can't really have people say, oh, well, have you thought about changing this shot or have you thought about changing? And you're just like, nah, the film is the film now. But what do you think about the film? What is your interpretation of the film? So that's kind of all I asked. And the really surprising thing was I'd have been okay if people had written back like two sentences but almost everyone wrote me like paragraphs and paragraphs and I know your friends can be biased and when you finish a film or a piece of work you are paranoid that even people who say they like it 
you think they don't really like it. They're just saying that because they're, they're your friend. But which, you know, I do I do get that as well. I do get that paranoia of like, everyone's just tapping me on the head because they know how much this means to me. Uh, and they're going, oh, well done, Harry. But that's obviously mental and you, you need to you need to shift that paranoia. And, and people did write, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs on what the film meant to them. And a couple of people said it was disturbing, which is nice because it is, you know, it does have, meant to have an element of horror to it. And people said they laughed, which is good because it's a comedy. And it's tricky making a film like Harry's Not Okay because it's like my name's in the title. I'm acting in it. Um, it's not autobiographical, but still there are elements there that are. And so that's why I think it's an interesting piece of work. But then it's kind of got multiple genres going on, which can be off-putting as well, because if you make something that's a straight-up comedy, you, everyone knows where they stand, you know, and likewise with a horror. But if you try and make something that's trying to do something a little bit different or blend genres, then it can come across as pretentious and like an interesting failure. I've probably spoken about this on the podcast before, but movie do a thing, film season called Interesting Failures. And I'm just like, oh my God, that is, that gives me heartache just reading it and looking at the films that they choose. Because imagine being a filmmaker and a big distributor platform like promotes your film as an interesting failure. Although, you know, there's a lot, a lot of worse things that can be said about your film than interesting failure you know at least it's interesting and at least the filmmaker took a risk so yeah the test screenings went great and I, and I was really chuffed and really happy and it's interesting because Lawrence and I have spoken about how this film isn't the most audience friendly film but then again we don't even know what that means like what is audience friendly you just want people to like the film and people seem to like the film I guess what we're saying is it's a film that isn't for everyone but then most of my favorite films aren't for everyone and I'm not for everyone and you're you're definitely not for everyone because who the hell's for everyone so we've been talking about that a lot and we've been saying we want the next thing to be more audience friendly which then goes against what I've just said because I'm kind of saying there is no such thing as audience friendly and something that's for everyone and we don't want to make something that's for everyone but I guess we just want to make something that is a bit more accessible and and kind of more funny you know just go go for more laughs and more of a straight-up comedy i've said to lawrence you know we'll say this now we'll put down our values or we'll put down the things that we want the film to be but they're bound to change and i'm bound to fuck things up and say why don't we do this and and then it will result in it not being as audience accessible but you know that's that's the way things work you know when you have a when you have certain taste and you try and put it on something and I think if you did try and make a comedy that was just an all-out comedy and go, right, we're just going to be as funny as we can be and that's it, that probably won't be that interesting a film, I don't think. But that might just be my opinion. You might disagree. So yeah, test screenings went well. It made me think about... I've written down here in my notes... That That's the other thing about recording these podcasts on the fly. When it's once a week, things are fresh in my head and I know what things mean. But because it's been a month, I normally write in my iPhone notes little things that I want to talk about on the podcast because I'm like, you know what, people will appreciate that. That'll be interesting. And then now when I look back on the notes, I'm like, what the hell does 95% minus 5% mean? That will that will twig. I will get to what that means in a minute. So uh, I wanted to talk about the closeness to a film. So David Fincher, and I'm paraphrasing wildly here, David Fincher has once said that directing a film is a bit like having an army 
uh, of people and they're holding the brush and they're 100 feet away from you and they're on the canvas, they're doing the painting and you've got a megaphone and you're shouting to the army, uh, you know, down, down, to the left, to the left. Yeah, a little bit more blue. No, 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 not that blue, the other blue. Again, paraphrasing wildly, but but that is the, the gist of his, his metaphor. And I thought that was really interesting and I've been thinking about that a lot because the way I make films because of uh, no money and resources and stuff, you're very close to the film and you're very close to every decision that gets made for better or for worse because obviously, you know, it's all yours. It's all your control and it's all your decisions and then it's all for you to do. You know, you can't really delegate that much. On Harry's Not Okay, it's been a much better experience because Jim Embray, the cinematographer, has taken on work that normally cinematographers don't do. Chris, the editor, has been doing multiple roles Lawrence was acting as like a script supervisor as well as a bit of a producer on set. And the same with Ryan. Ryan's always not just a sound man. He, he's always chipping in with stuff. And when you're working on this level, you want to, you know, you want to expand and you want more people to fill roles that you can't normally because you haven't got the money. And at the moment, I'm not, I'm not at that point where I'm hiring, you know, even a makeup artist or, you know, a first AD. We didn't really have a first AD on, on this shoot. And they're very important roles. And Lawrence and I have already sat down and gone, we need a producer on set for the next one and we need a first AD on set. And some other little bits and bobs and we keep talking about that, how we're going to improve the process next time. But in terms of closeness to a film, I don't know how you make films or how you're intending to make films, but you just have to think about that that personal touch to the film. Not only the content and what you're making and what you're trying to say, put out in the world, but also the closeness to it. I'm trying to find a way to describe it where it makes sense, but if you're the director and you're also editing the film, you know, there's a there's a quality that comes with that if you're editing it. And obviously it's not it's not for everyone because not everyone's an editor. I don't tend to, you know, I'd, the last couple of films that I've done I've not edited and I've been really glad that I haven't. But you know yourself when you see when you watch something back if something's right or if something's not. And I think sometimes the closeness to a film if you do edit or if you do write and if you do multiple roles you have that closeness to it for example if you're just directing any old script just for the sake of directing it you're not going to have that closeness you're not going to care about it and i think the opposite of what david finch is saying is like this intimacy like this intimacy with what you're making and is it personal to you and then are you really focusing on every every frame of it and and talking to the actors and having a, an understanding with them and you're not just hiring someone that comes in for a day and doesn't get it and I think with Jim, in terms of like a director, cinematographer relationship, I'm not ma I'm not a technical guy. I'm not I'm not massive on on lights and lenses, and I'm trying to get better. But I just try and always talk about story, and I'm sure I bore Jim to death sometimes. But it's the only way I can get across the meaning and the intention of a shot and a scene or a feeling. One of the first things I said to Jim for Harry's not okay was I wanted kind of like a driftingness, and so. We, we started talking about Steadicam a bit more. And so there's a bit of Steadicam. Uh, well, it's quite a bit of Steadicam in the film. And there was other things that came to mind like that where, you know, you're just talking about the story and, and the intention of it. And then suddenly the technical person, which Jim is and I'm not, that's for them to take on board and, and work around. And sometimes they'll give you an idea back, a technical one, and you go, no, no, that doesn't, right, that doesn't really fit because of 
whatever. So I've gone on a tangent here, but I will go back to closeness because I just feel like you need you need to think about that more in your filmmaking. It makes a big difference. And I was also thinking about it in terms of like a comedian. A comedian never tells a joke he doesn't think is funny. It's just like common sense. You know, a comedian has to get on that stage and they're in front of however many people they're in front of. It's very, very vulnerable, nerve wracking. And they're only going to tell that joke if they believe in it 100%. And that's the same with your scripts and your films. You, you need to believe in it 100%. Now, you don't have to believe in it like 100% at the beginning because there might be some doubt and you might be like, I'm not sure, but I like this idea, you know, because I think if you wait for 100% certainty, then you might never get started. But there was enough in this idea that I really liked to, to work on it and it all felt really close to me. I might not be getting across what I want to get across there with the whole Fincher thing, shouting to an army of people, but you need to rein that in. And some of the biggest filmmakers didn't have big crews. Stanley Kubrick had very small crews. And I'm not saying you can't have a massive crew, but I'm just saying if you go that way, you need to keep the closeness. I saw something on Twitter. I've just worked out what the 95% minus 5% thing is. I saw something on Twitter today, or yesterday, sorry, that kind of bummed me out a little bit, but let's discuss it because you might have the total opposite opinion of me. I think it was a lady, I'm not sure, but a lady tweeted, I've just got the number 11 rejection out of my goal of 100 rejections this year in 2021. Yay. And obviously there's a little bit of sarcasm in that tweet, but I was like, why is this person aiming for 100 rejections in a year? And uh, I get why you would, because, you, you know, you're putting yourself out there over 100 times to get 100 rejections. And maybe she'll never reach 100 because maybe she won't submit to 100 things or she, you know, she will, but she'll be successful so she won't reach the 100. But I was like, that's such a strange way of going about it, aiming for 100 rejections. I guess it's good because she's she's forcing herself to make work and to submit it. I've spoken before about applications and had a literal meltdown over an application on one podcast, which I didn't get, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that on a podcast after it. But yeah, the application where I had a meltdown mid-application, surprisingly, I didn't get that application. And I got another rejection the other day, which was a tasty one as well, which was for a week-long residency in Lille. That would have been very nice because, you know, it doubles as a holiday. That would have been very nice post-COVID. But yeah, 100 rejections. I mean, it ties into the 95% minus 5%, which I've just worked out. I saw a filmmaker post this saying, you spend 5% of your time uh, thinking up stories that you're passionate about and 95% of your time filling in application forms to be able to tell those stories. And it got a lot of likes, I think, and it got a lot of retweets. And on the back of this lady who was also trying to get 100 application, uh, 100 rejections in a year. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, just make something. Go and make something. Go and make a film. I don't mean to simplify it and be a dick like that, but if you're spending 5% of your time thinking up the stories and then 95% filling in applications, I feel like you're doing it wrong. Or maybe I'm doing it wrong. Because I know there comes a time for filling in applications and it's funny because I'm Lawrence and I are meeting up today and part of the thing that we're talking about is this BFI film funding and whether we want to apply and the pros and cons of applying and I think we will apply so we're going to be filling in an application but 
and I know the guy's being slightly sarcastic when he says 95%, but that to me just sounds like he's doing it wrong and you need to just get making films and getting out there and doing something other than application forms because I made a decision a while ago. I wasn't going to do an application for something unless it was like, it was really, really big. And I've done two this year. One was for one week in France with like legit TV show runners. And then this other thing has been the, you know, the NFTS application, which would be kind of life changing. And I just think you got to use that time wisely and get making stuff and getting writing stuff. And, and maybe people are, maybe he is doing that as well. Maybe he is making films and writing scripts and doing the applications. But I'm a little bit application adverse at the moment. I'm not in a good headspace for applications because it's asking for permission. And I always come back to the Mark Duplass South by Southwest talk, which is incredible, which is the cavalry is not coming and you are the cavalry and you have to just go after it. You know, so we've made this film and we're going to make another film in August and we're going to apply for this BFI funding for a short film. But the odds on that are, are insane. You know, it's like 4% or something probably get get the funding. And that kind of puts me off already. But again, shouldn't have that mindset. should be a positive mindset and just go, right, let's get the script done. Let's get the application done. Let's get it submitted. But it's hard. You know, it's near impossible to approach something without that mindset when you know the odds and you know how unlikely it is. You put all that passion into a film script, even if it is 10 pages, and you do the budget and you do the director's statement and you think about the cast and the crew and, and then you don't get it. And it's a film that probably needs a budget of like 10 to 15 grand. So you can't make it. And the excitement for me has always been to make something. That's always been like the nice reward of working towards something and going right well now it's time to make it and I've had in the last sort of six months uh, especially since meeting Lawrence because Lawrence writes so much and has just got like a spare room full of scripts that he's written in his house he hasn't by the way but he could he could do he could fill it and it's made me question my writing in a sense like well Jesus am I even a proper writer because I don't I really don't write that much I try and write and I get the odd couple of pages down and I, I write short films very easily and I've written a couple of TV scripts but then I've been meaning to write a TV script since the beginning of the year and I haven't even started one really and it made me think that sometimes the incentive so some people just love to write and then the scripts there and their enjoyment has purely been getting to fade out whereas for me the idea of writing a TV script that then nothing happens with is like, why would you do it? Just it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like totally illogical. And obviously, you could write a TV script to get paid work if you were if you were fortunate enough to to do that. But then it's writing on a TV show, which again, I'm not turning my nose up at because I'd be very fortunate to do that. But that's not what I want to do. I want to write and direct films or write and direct TV shows. So you need to kind of go where you want to go in the end I think but maybe that's wrong maybe you just need to get anything you know absolutely anything and get get your foot on the ladder I think here's the thing and I can sum it up way better than I have been doing because I've been rambling today I'm sorry uh, I made a coffee and then I put it down on the desk and then I started the podcast and I was thinking I don't really feel myself today on this podcast and then I looked over and there was a cold cup of coffee which I've just paused the podcast to down so I'll probably be starting to feel a little bit better in a few minutes. But I guess what it comes down to for me is I'm really fed up now of 
waiting for things and for asking permission. And I love filmmaking so much. It's what I want to do with my life. And I've known that for a long time. And I'm annoyed at myself that it's taken me so long to realize this. And although I might seem like quite a prolific filmmaker, I'm annoyed that I haven't done a lot more. Really, I only started to get my act together in 2016 when I made the 12 shorts. And then 2017, I made the web series. But now it's like we're in 2021. So that is five years of kind of quite consistent filmmaking. But it was filmmaking that felt like it was, you know, sketches or experiments. Again, not on a lot of money. But now I feel like I've, re I've come to a realization and it's kind of like a stark realization of the work that I was doing was good on a, on a personal level of like I was happy with it and jokes were landing and I was showing that I had potential as a filmmaker but now I really want to start making the step up and focusing on the longer short films and playing the game a little bit more industry wise and that's why Harry's not okay I'm going to really push for to get into some film festivals because it's just nice to have that and I want to attend some film festivals after the year that we've all had with COVID where we could barely leave our house. It would be incredible come August, September, October if I could attend some film festivals with, with the film. And also with Jim, Chris, Ryan and Lawrence, you know, it'd be nice for them to attend a film festival as well because they've put in a lot of hard work and they, they might not get that chance this year if it wasn't for this film. I just have a, an underlying anxiety around... Is this going to waste my time? Is that really going to be worth it? How are we going to speed this process up? How can I just be making films? And I think with the, the BFI film application, if that's the only thing you're doing, then in my opinion, that's the wrong call. You know, I could, again, I could be wrong. You could apply for the BFI thing. You could get it. You get 15 grand to make a film. Harry's a dickhead. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But I will say this. If you spend two months on the application and you don't get it you're going to struggle because you you then don't have a film to make for next to no money or you'll try and change the film that you've submitted to be able to be made for next to no money and it probably won't work as well because you've written it to have 10 to 15 grand and that's another thing that i'm thinking a lot about in terms of you can make 500 pound look like a lot filmmakers are very good the sort of naturally entrepreneurial filmmakers are very good at beg stealing and borrowing and getting crew involved and so 500 pound can look like 5000 pound or 10000 pound very quickly so why don't you just make a couple of films that are 500 pound rather than the bfi thing that is 10000 pound now don't get me wrong 10000 pound is brilliant but with the bfi you have to pay people which is obviously great. That's what we want to do. We want to be paying our friends and our collaborators because they're very talented and it's the least they deserve. But what I would say is if you're getting experienced people, they're going to be taking a massive pay cut anyway because they don't normally work for that. And you're going to be spending that money of the budget on them. And if they really believed in the film and they believed in the script and you can leverage a couple of things that are really exciting about the film, then they would probably do it anyway. And if they wouldn't, then that's okay. Like, you don't work on this one. I'll get somebody else. And then for a f for £500 or £1,000, you're going to get something that's going to look not a million miles away from the thing that you're going to submit for for the BFI. So 
that's, I think, going to be my plan. My plan is submit for the BFI, but then also work on this other script that we are definitely going to shoot in August. Okay, so this is the bit where I sum up the whole podcast in like five minutes and you regret that you didn't just skip to the last five minutes and just listen to that because the rest was just waffle and the worst rambly pod I've ever done. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that really deep down, think about that personal connection to what you're working on and do you really give a shit about it? The next thing I would say that I think is super important from this podcast is that don't be feeling like you've got to ask for permission. If you, if you want to make a film, just go and make the film. Just find a way how to do it. Don't be waiting around for the BFI funding or any other funding. There will be a time when you will need money. There will be a time. And that time might be now. You, you might have made a couple of short films and you might have gone, Harry doesn't know what he's talking about. I want to make this film. This is my passion project, but I need 20 grand to make it. That's okay. If you want to have that opinion and you really think you can make that 20 grand film, whatever, then make that happen. But what I'm saying is try your best full time to not be in a position where you're asking for permission and you need permission because that's not a good way to go. And what I will say, and I know if you've ever made a film, you'll have felt this experience or you've ever written a script or a poem or you've done a painting or whatever. But when you're in the middle of that creative process, that's that's bliss. When, when it's going well and you're happy, it's the best. It's the best thing ever. And when I was making this film, there were moments like that where it felt really special and I was really happy because I want to be a filmmaker. And when you're doing that, it feels like you have purpose and you have meaning and, and you're contributing something. And it just feels really great. And so you want that feeling all the time. That's what you want. That's what that's what I want to be doing for a living. Now, obviously, there are, there are negatives at times or stresses. And like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, you can feel a bit bipolar on on certain, you know, on your projects, but that's totally natural. But if it does feel right and it does feel like a high, then you want that as often as possible. And if you wait around for the funding, you're going to forget what that feels like and you're just going to not make something for six months or a year, and, and it just goes on and on and on again. And there is that balance that is in all of these podcasts when it comes to quantity and quality and prolificness, and it is a big thing for me because I don't understand people that don't want to make stuff all the time because we only get one life, and if you really love something, then you know, why not carry on doing it? It, doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like when I was a kid, when I was 12 or 13, if I could only play football once a week, it, it would be crazy. I'd be like, but I, but I play football four times a week. What, what do you mean I can only play football once a week? It just feels very strange. And it's, I imagine it's the same with, with artists or people who draw. They do it every day. Like, why wouldn't they do it every day? And the sad thing about filmmaking is it's such a, a middle class or upper middle class endeavor art form that it's it's been very difficult to do it on a regular basis for the last hundred years. But we're at a point now, well, we've been at a point now for like, I would say 10 years where you, you could just do it. And so when it comes to BFI applications or any other applications that you're trying to get in, also on the side, have that project that you know you can do. And, and not that you know you can do for like a rainy day, but be actively working on it and, and say to yourself, in four months time, I'm shooting that project. I'm getting that project done because I know I've got that project. And I know what will happen because 
this was a big turning point for me. If you've got a project that you know you can do in three or four months, the shininess and the attractiveness and the appeal of the other one kind of fades away and you go, well, why am I even bothering with that one? Because, you know, I know I'm going to do this one, like this, this, this other one, I'm going to shoot in my friend's garage and I've got my cast and I've got my crew and I know, I know I'm going to shoot this. So why don't I just focus more on this? Now, I'm not saying that's totally the right thing to do because like I say, for your career and for funding, the BFI thing is, is great. It's a different list of pros that come with it if you do get that. And there's a, there's a gravitas that comes with it as well. And there's a lot of responsibility. And it has a professional element that you would want because it imitates essentially what it would be like to work in the industry with a budget and with a crew. So it totally makes sense that you would go after the BFI funding. But just keep that in mind that you want to be a filmmaker. You don't want to be a film applier. Which reminds me of a brilliant Duplass Brothers quote. When they first moved to Los Angeles after making a couple of mumblecore films, they were going for meeting after meeting. And they, after a year of meetings, they got totally fed up with it. And they had the little catchphrase that was, we need to make movies, not make meetings. This waffle has been episode 26. Thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for patiently waiting for a new episode. I will be back sooner, I promise. I know I say that every time, but I will be. It won't be another month. And I will see you next time. Bye.